Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Churches that change the world are filled with Christians who change their world. Last Sunday morning, I brought a message from this passage entitled Churches That Change the World, studying the church at Antioch. And we looked at seven characteristics of churches that change the world. And I challenged us as a church family to seek to be one of those churches that changes the world. And we looked at that. This church in Antioch was used in a mighty way in the early, uh, early church history. But this morning's message is a follow-up. And it's, that's the, the premise statement, if you will, of the message. Churches that change the world are filled with Christians who change their world. And that's the title of our message this morning, Christians That Change Their World. When studying the Bible, any passage, it's always important to understand the context of what you're reading and where you're reading and what's happening there. It opens things up to understand it in a much better way so that then you can apply it to your own life in a much better way. And so by way of introduction, I'll give us a little bit of a review of what we're studying here in Acts 11. And uh, I often, when I'm reading a passage, I like to answer some questions. Who, what, where, when, why, to understand what's happening. So we'll answer a few of those questions this morning. The first one we'll answer is when. When was this written, what we're about to read? What we're about to read was written about a decade after Christ's crucifixion. After Jesus was was crucified for your sins and for mine, was buried and he rose again, uh, about a decade later is when this was written. Where was this written? What was happening uh, with where we read? It was Antioch, the capital of Syria. I think we have the map we've shown the last couple of Sundays there. And uh, that map, you can see all the arrows pointing to Antioch. Those arrows were something that, that we explained from this passage two weeks ago. But Antioch, that capital of Syria, you go about 200, 300 miles south, you'll find Jerusalem. Cyprus is that island right there. And so Antioch is what we're reading, the church at Antioch. And who? Who is this about? It's about the church at Antioch. This church was really the first recorded church in early church history that included both Jews and Gentiles. And I've explained every week in the last four or five uh, Sundays on this, that in this day and age, there were basically three groups of people in the world. There were the Jews, those whose father, they were the lineage, the descendants of Abraham from the Old Testament, those that were of Jewish uh, lineage. Then there were the Samaritans. Samaritans were considered a half-breed. They were the children when the Jews had been taken into captivity in the Old Testament. They intermarried with with non-Jews, with with those that were not Jewish. And then uh, the Jews viewed those children as half-breeds. There was a political, a religious, a cultural, a racial divide. And that's why we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. That was such a powerful parable because it was the Samaritan that half-breed, that one that was looked down upon by the Jews in that day and age, that was the one that was willing to stop and help. I was born in Good Samaritan Hospital in San Jose, California. That's the Samaritan. And then you have the Gentiles, all of those that would not have any, uh, any, any Jewish uh, lineage in their bloodline, any other country. Antioch was really the first church. Now, Cornelius, we study, was the Roman soldier who the gospel went to, him and his friends and family. But Antioch was that church 
where the Gentiles began to receive the gospel in, in widespread ways. So this church now has broken down uh, these religious, these cultural, these social barriers, and there are now Jews and Gentiles that are gathered together around the truth of the gospel. That's the way it's supposed to be. I love the fact that you look around our church, and our church reflects the community around us. There are young, and there are middle-aged, and there are old. There are new babies coming in, and there are folks sitting in this room that are over 90 years old. There are, are people watching online that are in their 80s or 90s. There, there, are, there are people that were born in America. There are people that are born in other countries. There are people that are college-educated. There are people that are high school dropouts. There are people that English is their first language. There are people that are still learning English in our church, in, in our church uh, that will be in this auditorium and in the, the auditorium where, where Pastor Sammy preaches. And what it shows us, the gospel is the uniting force for us all. There's nothing wrong with seeking social change, but we must be reminded that the only thing, it's heart change that will truly change the social ills of our world. It's the gospel that changes a heart. So when, where, who, it's the, the Christians at Antioch. What? what? What is going on here? I just went through that one. I guess I got ahead of myself. The gospel is spreading in great ways for the first time to the Gentiles. So with that background, let's pick it up. We'll read about uh, seven verses this morning, and we'll take a, a look at Christians that change their world. Acts chapter 11, verse number 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenis or Phoenicia and Cyprus, that island in Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. You see that there? Remember back right after Jesus died, Stephen, the first martyr, the first Christian martyr, persecution came upon the church from, from Saul, that persecutor who would end up getting saved and becoming the apostle Paul. He would write more books of the Bible than any other, uh, any other human. Um, he penned more books of the Bible. God is the author of the Bible, but he was the human instrument to pen those books. So this man was persecuting the church. Stephen was killed. And because of the persecution, the gospel spread out of Jerusalem. Again, I don't I want to stop every spot here, but a good reminder that sometimes it's the valleys, it's the trials, it's the difficulties, it's the persecution in life that actually strengthens us and can be, a, can be used a catalyst to get the gospel to places where it never would have gone before. I know that's happened even in our church. I, I'm not, I don't think we're under persecution, but with the lockdown and the shutdown, we have reached people and we've had to get creative in some ways in how we've ministered to people that we probably never would have reached or ministered to had it not been for the, the 10 or 12 weeks when we were not gathering together. Sometimes the negatives of life, God can use those, and really I should say oftentimes, God can use those and uses those negative times in our lives for our good and for his glory. And we see that here, verse number 20. So the gospel is going to the Jews, verse 20. And some of them, the people at Antioch there, were men, were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, that's the Greeks or the Gentiles, non-Jews, preaching the Lord Jesus. Notice this, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. God's doing a work. People are coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Verse 22, then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. Would you read the next four words aloud with me? Or I guess that's five words. The next five words from and to Barnabas. Ready? Begin. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as as Antioch. I want to throw that map back up there, if you will, uh, Tyler, please. Get that map back up. And so as you're looking at it, Jerusalem is here, right here in the middle, uh, underneath Samaria. They're up in Antioch. 
Men are coming from Cyprus, this island. They're coming from Cyrene, which is in Africa. They've taken a boat this way. They're in Antioch. So, so Christians, Jewish Christians from Jerusalem have made their way to Antioch. Gentile believers have made their way to Antioch. They're preaching Christ. And, and here in Antioch, all of a sudden, this amazing thing starts to happen. God's working in unbelievable ways in Antioch. And word travels down to Jerusalem. Even without social media and network, news networks, isn't it amazing how quickly word can travel? And word gets to Jerusalem. There's some amazing stuff happening at the church in Antioch. We need to send somebody up there and see what's happening. That's a, that's a new mission field. That's a new spot where, where we, the gospel is going. So they decide to send Barnabas. Verse 23. Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. We talked about that. We know the name and the label Christian. It's very common in our vernacular. There are many people that would say they're Christians that wouldn't maybe even necessarily follow the teachings of the Bible. It's just if in our society often, if you believe there's a God or you believe that Jesus Christ is a real person, yeah, I guess I'm a Christian. This is the first time that the followers of Jesus were called Christians. It's not a name they gave to themselves. It was a name given to them by those in Antioch. That, that word Christian, it literally means the party of Christ. And we talk about what, what party are you a part of? And our minds automatically go to politics. For them, those people are of the party of Christ. They're the ones that are so much like Christ. Those are Christians. They're, they walk like him. They talk like him. They act like him. They love like him. Those people, what a great testimony. And they were called Christians. Some people think that it may have been a divisive or derisive, not divisive, but derisive term. It may have been. We don't know for sure. They think that it might have almost been all those Christians, almost in a demeaning way. But if they meant it demeaning, what a great testimony. that Those people remind us so much of Jesus. We're going to call them the Christians, the people who are the party of Jesus. I want to I just stop right here before I jump into the main thoughts of, of, our, of our message. I want you to notice in verse number 19 and verse number 20, it says, they which were scattered... And verse 20 says, and some of them. These are the people that God used to establish one of the most influential churches in the world. It started modern day missions movement, not even modern day, ancient day missions movement. It sent the apostle Paul and Barnabas out as the first missionaries out of the church. This church was used to reach their world and it was started by people we don't even know the name of. My first thought about introduction, and it's not on a point or anything, but Christians that change their world, often they're those that are really unknown to the world. They're just faithful, godly people sharing Christ. I, I wrote this statement down. The church in Antioch got started because so-called nobodies witnessed to their neighbors. Isn't that beautiful? This amazing church that we've studied a little bit the last couple of weeks and we'll continue to see its impact in the coming weeks. This amazing church was started because nobodies, no-named Christians witnessed to their neighbors. I'm not against, we've brought in special guests before. We have the, uh, the girl in the picture. Um, you recall that, that girl, I think it was Time Magazine, the little girl naked running out of her village when the, the bomb was dropped. 
Her name is Kim Fu, and we've had her here several times to give her testimony. She's come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and is a godly, wonderful, faithful Christian lady. I'm not against bringing in a well-known person to give their testimony or maybe an athlete or a celebrity. To We've done that at a youth rally. We brought in an NBA player that shared how he came to know Christ. I'm not against those things, but it's a nice thing to do that. But may I remind us as a church, it's a far better thing to have our entire congregation spreading the good news within our many relationships. And today's message comes from those four words that we read aloud in verse 22. It's a detail God didn't have to include in Scripture, but He chose to. It says in the five words we read, And they sent forth Barnabas. This morning we're going to study Barnabas as a Christian that changed his world. Barnabas wasn't one of the twelve disciples. He wasn't one of the ones that, that walked with Jesus for three years. Barnabas didn't write any books of the Bible. He wasn't from Jerusalem. He wasn't part of the in crowd of the church, if you will. He wasn't from Jerusalem. He was from Cyprus, the island of Cyprus. And Kevin, they're known as Cyprians. You probably already knew that since that's your last name. Barnabas was a Cyprian, so you have have kinship. And uh, maybe you're from the bloodline of Barnabas. You read scripture, we don't find, we don't hear of any amazing crusades that Barnabas preached or churches that he personally planted. Now, he and Paul went around doing that. But the interesting thing is Barnabas at the beginning of Acts, every time you see Barnabas and and Saul together, that's exactly how it's listed. It's Barnabas and Saul. He's the one that brought Saul into the church. He's the one. But from this point on, really, it's going, he's going to take a back seat. And when we talk about him, you know what we call them? Paul and Barnabas. He's a man that took a back seat, didn't have any amazing accolades as far as he didn't write books of the Bible. However, without Barnabas, the early church history would have looked very, very different. The Apostle Paul, as we know him, may have never been welcomed into the church. He may not have been sent out as the first missionary. We don't know all that God would have or would not have used Paul to do. But from what we know, what we can read, humanly speaking, we can say that the early church history, and because of that, our church and our Christian history was very, very different because there was a faithful, godly Christian named Barnabas. One Christian, Barnabas, who made an enormous difference in countless lives, and for whatever reason, God chose in, in his divine inspiration of the scriptures to let us know that of all of the people in Antioch, of all the people at the church of Jerusalem, it was Barnabas that we sent. I think he wants us to learn some things from his life. And I want to challenge us as we look at a few characteristics of Barnabas this morning to ask God, would you help me to be more like him, a Christian that changes my world? Number one, what do we see about a Christian that changes his world? Number one, I see Barnabas had the right spirit. He had the right spirit. Verse 22, and they sent forth Barnabas. Just the fact that we see his name there is an indicator of the kind of spirit and person Barnabas was. You see, Barnabas wasn't on his birth certificate. His parents, I don't know if they had birth certificates back then, but if they did, he wasn't wasn't on there. His parents didn't name him Barnabas. His parents named him Joseph. You know why he's called Barnabas and why why he's listed as Barnabas and we know him? If If I were to say Paul and Joseph, you would say, who? I never heard of Paul and Joseph. But I say Paul and Barnabas, oh, I've heard that name before. 
Why do we know him as Barnabas? Well, it was a nickname that the believers around him gave him. That name literally means son of consolation or son of comfort. That that's, he's Barnabas, he's a guy, you get around him, you're going to be encouraged. You get around him, you're going to be challenged, you're going to be uplifted, you're going to want to do more for God. You get around that guy, Joseph. In fact, he's so encouraging. Hey, I'm not calling him Joseph anymore. We're calling him Barnabas. He's a son of consolation. That's his, that's his name now. That's his nickname. That's what we're going to call him. And, and Barnabas, that son of consolation, that son of comfort, his spirit was such that everyone that knew him decided Barnabas fit him better than Joseph. Here's a scary thought. What if the church were to give you or were to give me a nickname for what we reminded them of? Well, there's, I won't say the name, son of criticism. There's so-and-so, daughter of discord. There's such-and-such, man of selfishness. Describe that couple. Oh, that's the stingiest family I've ever met. What if? What if we all had to be named by what our most predominant characteristic is? Always upset, always angry, always sad, always finding something to complain about, always depressed, always, oh, God can't do it. Oh, our world's over. California's going to fall into the ocean. Oh, this, oh, that, our governor, our this, our that. And again, I'm not saying you can't be informed politically. I'm not saying you, you shouldn't vote biblically. I'm not saying any of that. But what is your governing characteristic? If, if we were to call you, by the way, by your overarching spirit, what would it be? What would your spirit be? For Barnabas, he was the man that changed his world. He was a man that had a right spirit. He was known as a son of consolation. Have you ever known somebody like that? You get around them and you're just always encouraged. That's somebody that changes their world for the better. Don't you want to be that? Churches that change the world are filled with Christians that change their world. And Christians that change their world are, are, are people that have the right spirit. What if I say the name to you right now? And I don't, she's probably in the children's service serving. If I say the name Vicki Cavan, those of you that know her, what comes up? You think of sweet, faithful Christian lady. Been in our church for decades. What if I say the names Doug and Joanne McMains? Probably would think selfless servants. Moira Smith, I believe she's probably watching online with her, her, she and her husband. Always a smile and an encouraging word. I've never seen Moira. I'm sure she's had days, but I've never seen Moira without a big smile on her face. Jay Shaner, who's struggling with cancer, watching from home, is at risk to be out in, in a crowd like this. Well, if I say Jay Shaner, what comes to mind? Maybe a few things, but probably you would say, there's a man that loves the Bible. What a, what, a great, what a great testimony. When I think of Jay Shaner, the first thing I think of is his love for God's word. What, what a testimony. That, that was Barnabas. Ramel and Elsie Ilano, kind-hearted, happy Christians. Joe and Renee Walsh, giving, loving people. I could keep going. I, I wrote down here, I had one more I'd written down. Diana Quackenbush, a Barnabet. She's a daughter of encouragement. Always encouraging folks and loving people. And I could, there, are, there are hundreds in our church that I could do that for. Our church is filled with many godly. But, but what about that? How's your spirit? How's my spirit? That's a, that's a, what, if, what if you ask my children, when I say your dad's name, what comes to mind? That's a scary thought. My wife, no, really. If I say Ryan Thompson, what, 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 is, what, what would be my wife, the overarching 
description. For Barnabas, it was son of consolation. Christians that change their world have the right spirit. Church family, don't be the church grump. Don't be the jerk at work that is always critical of your boss and critical of the work environment and critical of every decision that is made. Uh, Men, don't be the husband or the dad that is selfish or stingy or lazy or unkind. Let us be known as faithful, kind, godly, encouraging, joyful, loving, generous Christians. That is what will change our world. And I'm not against peacefully protesting for what we believe. That's covered in the Constitution, by the way, just as it is to peacefully assemble and to worship. And and before you get upset that the governor said we're not supposed to sing, let's make sure we're actually singing when, when we didn't say we're not supposed to sing. Let's make sure that we're singing as a church. But instead of always, I'm upset about this, or I'm upset about that, what about standing for God and having that spirit? Look at the next verse, verse number 23. Notice what it says. Who when he came and had seen the grace of God. This is a small description of Barnabas. Look what it says. The next two words, when he had seen the grace of God, he was what? He was glad. Next word, he exhorted, encouraged, challenged, uplifted them all. He was glad. The overarching response when he came to see what God was doing in another church, I'm so glad that God is working in other people's lives. I rejoice in what God is doing in these people's lives. The Bible says we should rejoice with them that do rejoice, weep with them that do weep. As Christians, we need to have an abundance mentality. Sometimes I think as Christians, we think that God's blessing is a limited commodity. And if I see God blessing this family over here, I've got to somehow find what's wrong, what, what's, what you don't know about them, and you don't know why they don't deserve that blessing, because if they get some blessing, I must, there must be limit, God must have some limit to how much blessing he can give, so if they get it, that's a blessing that I missed out on, so I've got to try to keep everybody around me down and not rejoice when God works and not rejoice when God blesses. No, that God's blessing is not a limited commodity, church. He has unlimited blessings to give to us and to share with us, and when you and I, we see what God is doing elsewhere, instead of finding what's wrong with it, instead of finding fault, and I'm not talking about we don't stand for truth. I'm not talking about that we compromise over doctrinal heresy. I'm talking about in Christians that love God and are seeking to serve Him, and we see God working, well, yeah, but did you know this about their pastor, and well, did you know that about that family, and well, I heard this about their teenage kid. Did you hear what he did? And Well, that, forget that spirit. Barnabas, he saw what God was doing, and he was glad. Christians that change their world have the right spirit. Number two, we see in verse 23, they have the right focus. The right focus, what you look for. Verse 23, who when he came, what does it say that he had, he had seen? When he came and had seen the what church? The grace of God. You know what he saw when he came to that church? The grace of God. Now, the Bible, I don't know how many people were there. I don't know if it was hundreds. I'm guessing it was thousands because of it said many people turned to the Lord, much people turned to the Lord. We saw Pentecost, thousands joining the church. Uh, a couple uh, days or weeks later, another couple thousand joining the church. I'm guessing it was thousands. Do you think if you get thousands of believers from different backgrounds, Gentiles, Jews, different upbringings, different religious traditions, different personalities, do you think if you get that many people together, if you wanted to, you could find something else to, to to see? Don't you think you could see something else? And you know what Barnabas saw? He saw the grace of God. Do you think a group of Gentile believers that had never been to worship God in Jerusalem, do you think their worship maybe looked a little different than what the Jews were used to? They didn't wear the same clothes. They didn't have the same robes. They weren't used to all that scripture. 
They didn't have phylacteries like the Jews did, the Orthodox Jews. Do you think that maybe a church filled with Gentile believers, just maybe their service looked a little different than what Barnabas was used to in his church back when he was in Jerusalem or his church over there? Do you think maybe it looked a little different? But you know what the Bible tells us? When he came and had seen the grace of God, what was Barnabas looking for? He was looking for what he could rejoice about. He was looking for what was good. He wasn't looking for what was different. He wasn't looking for what he could criticize. Well, you guys don't really know what you're doing here. Of course they don't. They're brand new Christians. Who knows what they were doing? They were probably doing a whole lot of stuff they shouldn't have been. Why, why do I think that? Because Barnabas and Saul took a whole year to teach them what they should be doing. But that wasn't his spirit. That wasn't his overarching focus. That wasn't what he looked for. His focus wasn't, let me find what's wrong with them. His focus was, let's rejoice in the grace of God in their lives. The Pharisees loved to look for what was wrong with everybody. Barnabas had the right focus. He saw the grace of God. I want to show you this picture. Maybe this, we have a picture of a lady, I believe. You maybe have seen this before. When you look at this picture, what do you see? Do you see a, a how many of you in here, let me just see by raise of hands, do you see a young lady? Let me see, you see a young lady, raise your hands. How many of you see an old lady? How many of you are not sure what you saw? You're like, I can't tell what that is. Now let me, here is, if you saw, this is, this, if you're looking for the old lady, this is her eye, this is her mouth, this is her uh, side profile, her nose with a little wart on the end of her nose. For those that saw the young lady, if you look at it now, how many of you that saw the young lady first, now you can see the side profile of the old lady, now you can see it. When I tell you what to look for, you see the old lady. Now those that saw the old lady first, the young lady, this is her ear. She's facing that way, looking off into the distance this way, standing like I am. This is her chin. That's a necklace. That's her nose. It's the little of her nose. How many of you that saw the old lady first? Now you can see the young lady when you know what to look for. How many of you are really confused right now? You don't see any of it. If you're super confused, see me in the lobby afterwards. I'll pull my iPad out, and I'll explain it in a little more detail. But some of you, right when it came up, you saw a young lady looking off into the distance. Others of you, you saw an older lady looking down. And when I tell you what to look for, what you see changes. Let's try another one. Put the next one up on, on screen, if you will. How many of you see faces looking at each other? Let me see. Faces. Now just focus on the light. That's a vase or a candle holder. Do you see the vase now if you focus only on the light? How many of you that saw faces, if I tell you to look at it as a candle holder or a vase, you see the vase? We see what we're looking for. Have you ever bought a new or a used car? Our daughter just got this summer her first car. And she told me, she had said, it's amazing now that I've bought this car, how many more of these I see on the road? Any of you ever had that experience? You get a car and you start seeing that car everywhere? Why? Your brain, what your brain is conditioned to look for, you see what you're looking for. Let's put the next one up, if you will. Next one. What word do you see there? Talk to me. What word is that? Teach. What if I told you it's learn? L-E-A-R-N. So the first thing you see is teach, but if I tell you to look for it as learn, our brains can see. And again, just a reminder, sometimes what you want to see, if you want to see something, if you want to see learn, it's there. If you want to see teach, it's there. And in our lives, what we want to see is there. I don't know how this one's going to work uh, in just a minute. Uh, the, this one is one I saw a couple of years ago. It's, it's, it was, uh, it's a little toy. I saw a YouTube clip or it was on Twitter or something. 
And I don't know what the, our sound system, which Lord willing is, architects are working on it, sound engineers are working right now, Lord willing, this, this fall, it will all be replaced. It is slowly, slowly dying. You pray that we have a sound system for the next three months. Every time we come in, it's a new surprise. But, so I don't know how it will work, but there is a little toy that makes this little noise. It's going to be kind of hard to hear. I tried it before the service. It's a little tough depending on where you're sitting in the auditorium. But I want you to listen to this, this, this little toy and listen for the word brainstorm. Okay? Are we ready? Let's try that. Tyler, try it once or maybe twice. Listen for the word brainstorm and then pause it. All right, pause it there. How many of you heard brainstorm? Brainstorm. All right. How many of you tried it one more time? Didn't hear anything. Try it again. Listen for brainstorm. Go ahead. Brainstorm. Go ahead and stop it. And again, it's not as good on our sound system. If I was on my phone, you would hear it more. Maybe I'll send it in my weekly email and you can mess with it at home. Now I want you to listen. See if you can hear. Think the words green needle. Green needle. Listen to green needle. See if you can hear the words green needle. Go ahead. And I could keep going. Again, the audio is not great in here. I could keep going with that. I've done it many times. You could, if you tell your brain before you hear it, to hear brain needle, you'll hear brain needle. If you tell your brain to hear green storm, you'll hear green storm. You can hear one of four things, and it's the same audio. Brainstorm, green needle. Brainstorm or green needle don't sound anything the same. But somehow I did, I was doing it again this week, preparing this message, not sure how it would work on the sound system. Somehow the word brainstorm and green needle, when I pre precondition my brain, here's what word is coming. Listen for green needle. When that goes, I hear green needle. And then I hear brainstorm. If some of you don't believe it, you can, don't do it right now. Send yourself a note. Go on YouTube. Google brainstorm green needle. That clip will come up and you can do it on the way home from church, all right? Brainstorm, green needle, brain needle, green storm. Our brains often see and hear what they want to see and hear. And as Christians, if your whole perspective is what's wrong with every other Christian, you're going to be able to find it. If your whole perspective is what's wrong with every church, you're going to be able to find it. If your whole perspective is what's wrong with every politician, you're going to be able to find it. If your whole perspective is what's wrong with every pastor, you're going to be able to find it. If you came into service this morning and, and, and you were looking for something that you don't like about our service, it's not going to be hard to find. Maybe the songs that were sung or my preaching or speaking style or the content or there might be some, well, I don't think they should have started the service celebrating America's 244th birthday. I'm not sure that has a place in the church. And I've, I've seen some of that online, even with pastors that would believe just like me biblically, but, you know, our citizenship is in heaven, our allegiance is to the Lamb, and so we don't, and my citizenship's in heaven and my allegiance is to the Lamb, but I'm still glad I'm an American. And I don't think we're worshiping America this morning, but if you want to, you can come in and say, I don't think they should have made a big deal about America the first 10 or 15 minutes of our service. Or there might be others that say, I don't know why we're saying how great is our God. Why don't we sing all of patriotic songs? Why isn't pastor preaching a patriotic message? Why isn't he preaching about what America needs? What, and whatever you're looking for, you'll find it. And we either didn't do enough of what you wanted or we did too much of this. And I was an assistant pastor of a church that had a weekly attendance of about 2,500 each Sunday. About 2,500 people came to the Sunday morning services at this church. I'll never forget a guy that had come on Sunday mornings for years and he wanted to talk to me. He called me that week. He left me a message. And he was upset because he told me that the pastor was preaching directly at him and not just like what he was preaching applied to his life, 
that the whole message the Sunday before had been directed only to him, and he was picking on him, and he was, he was, and I said, and I named the guy's name, I said, now tell me, I was in that message, and I'll be honest, I heard the whole message, and I never once thought of you. So tell me what he said, and he was upset. It's not right that the pastor would do that. I, I knew it, I could tell he was looking up at me sometimes. I mean, you notice I kind of scanned the crowd, I looked at different people. He was looking at me sometimes, and the whole message, he was trying to, he was, he was basically preaching at me, and it wasn't right what he did, and I said, well, tell me what he said, really, like, that gave you that idea, because I'm in staff meetings, your name has never come up. I, I, I don't know, I'm his son-in-law, I'm at his house, like, four times a week, I've never heard him say a negative thing about you, so I'm a little confused, I'm kind of on the inside, if I would know that there was someone upset, I might know, I'm, I'm kind of worked directly with him five days a week, I, I, I don't know everything that happens in his heart and his life, but I know a lot of it, if, if there's something he's really upset about, I might hear something about it somewhere on a phone call or an email or something. And he told me what it was that he said, which was a totally ambiguous statement that applied to everybody in the audience. And, and I, I named his name. I said, that, that applies to me. That, what do you mean he's picking on you? But isn't it interesting? Our hearts and our minds see what they want to see. If we want to have a problem and find a problem with another Christian and another believer, once we start to condition our minds that way, everything that gets said reinforces that. Everything that gets done, the way that I shook your hand, you, you saw someone else shake my hand this morning and I fist bump you or I elbow bump you. Well, why did he elbow bump me? I saw him shake someone else's hand and, and wh whatever it might be. And, and again, I'm doing my best to keep social distance, but I'm also the pastor. And so if you stick your hand out, I shake your hand. And then when you leave, I get hand sanitizer and I, I wash my hands before I touch my face. But, but we can find anything we want. The right focus, what to look for. Number two, I got to go quickly. Who you live for. What you look for, who you live for. You see it here, Barnabas didn't live for himself. You see that in verse 23? When he was glad, he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. He didn't live for himself. He lived to point people to Jesus. He left his home, his home church, his family, his friends from Cyprus and from Jerusalem to come to Antioch to point these people to, to, to Christ. And it wasn't just for a week or, a, or two or a month or two. He was there for an entire year. He lived to help people by pointing them to Jesus. May I say, church family, live for God and for people, not yourself, and you will change your world. Live for your, your spouse and your children, not yourself. You will change your home. Live for your coworkers and those that you work with. You will change your workplace. Live for your neighbors. You can change your neighborhood. Barnabas changed his world. Why? One, he had the right spirit. He, he's a son of consolation. He was glad. Two, he had the right focus. What he was looking for was the grace of God, not the wrong of men. And if you're looking for the wrong of men, you'll be able to find it anytime you want to. It doesn't take too long to find law enforcement that, it, that has been corrupt and to find pastors that have been corrupt and to find politicians that have been corrupt and to find lawyers that have been corrupt and to find bankers that have been corrupt and whatever your your uh, your your job your occupation is we can find people in your occupation that have been corrupt if that's what you're looking for you'll find it every time but what about going around looking the bible says about charity biblical love in first corinthians 13 charity believeth all things that doesn't mean we're foolish and we're just gullible what that means is believes the best in people it means we don't come into a relationship automatically looking for, how is that person trying to get around? How's that person trying to get over on me? How's that person trying to manipulate me? We come in believing the best about people. I believe that's a good person, not a perfect person, that wants to live for God, and I'm going to do what I can to love them and to point them to Jesus, their focus. Number three, the right attributes. Christians that change their world have the right attributes. Verse number 24, 
for he was a good man. That, that word good is the Greek word agathos. It means upright, honorable, joyful, happy, pleasant. He was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Much people, he changed his world. Much people was added unto the Lord after it describes the fact he was a good man full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has there ever been a time in your life that you've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone, accepting his payment for your sins to receive eternal life? We will never make a spiritual impact in others until Christ has first made that spiritual impact in us. He was a good man. He knew the Lord. He was full of faith and the Holy Ghost. Churches that change the world are filled with Christians who change their world. And Christians who change their world have the right spirit, the right focus, the right attributes, and lastly, the right mindset. See verse number 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Can we throw that map back up real quick just so we all see it? I think, I'm not sure if Tarsus is on this map or not. Tarsus is basically somewhere right up here around Cilicia. This is, it's, it's right up in here. Um, this is where Tarsus is. So, so Barnabas leaves Antioch to go over here to go find Saul. It's been about a decade. Now, we think of, when we read the New Testament, it's only been a few chapters. It's been like 10 years almost that Saul has been in his hometown preaching. Some commentators believe that this might be where some of the churches were um, planted, the church at Cilicia there. And it also, some believe this might be where when Paul talks about being deserted, he may have been completely betrayed by his family, kind of kicked out when he talks about where he was shipwrecked and some of those other things. It may have happened in this decade-long period that's kind of a quiet time in, in Saul's life. Barnabas leaves to go get Saul, verse 26, last verse we'll look at. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The right mindset, what do I mean by that? Simply put, Barnabas' mindset was to impact as many lives and influence as many leaders as he possibly could. He had a mindset to invest in others there in Antioch, but he also had a mindset to raise up leaders, and he went and found Saul. He had a mindset to work well with others for the sake of the gospel. Paul and Barnabas, they ended up having their conflict because they're humans too, but he brought Saul in and said, let's work together here. You would be a great help. He wasn't, let me get all the glory. I want this church to only love me. No, Saul, hey, there's a new guy I want you to meet. He's got a great zeal for the Lord. He grew up in the Jewish religion. He's going to be able to teach you Gentiles a whole lot about about the, the truths of Scripture. And I want you to meet this guy. He brought him in. He had a mindset to share, a mindset to share the blessings of God. He had a mindset that did not worry about who got the glory, a mindset to teach others what he had learned, a mindset to multiply the gospel in as many lives as he could, it says much people turn to the Lord. Saul owed Barnabas much in his life, yet it was Barnabas who willingly took a back seat to Saul's leadership. In 2020, here's my prayer and here's the message. At Liberty Baptist Church, may God raise up host, a host of Barnabas-like believers. How's your spirit? How's your focus? What are you looking for? You want to look for something in the news that's going to be pretty frustrating, discouraging, upsetting, fear-inducing? You can find it in about five minutes. You want to look for something in God's Word that's going to be pretty encouraging, pretty uplifting, pretty faith-filled? You can find it in about five minutes. What are you looking for? And who are you living for, yourself or to impact other lives and point them to Christ? How's your spirit? How's your focus? 
How's your example? He was a good man full of the Holy Ghost. How's your mindset? Well, I'm just going to live my life for myself, try to be as happy as I can, try to make as much money as I can, try to live as comfortably as I can. Barnabas, you don't see that anywhere about him. What was his mindset? A person that changed his world, his mindset was, I'm going to use all of my resources to influence as many lives and to raise up as many leaders as I possibly can. Do you think our world might be a little different if we had a whole bunch more Barnabas and Barnabettes, or whatever the female version of Barnabas is? Do you think our world might be a little different if we followed the example of Barnabas? I know that I was convicted as I read about Barnabas. I trust you, Richard. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.